It is so excited to be here with you. Uh, I, uh, my name is Nate, as uh, Dave said, uh, and Dave and Casey are some of our closest friends, and I just have to tell you what you already know. You are so blessed to have Dave and Casey as your leaders, as your pastors. Um, they, so there's so much about the DNA of what Connect is that traces back to Dave and Casey. I mean, some of you may or may not know this. Did, did you know there's a school play happening in here all week this week? Like that is just one example of how Connect has embedded itself in the community and, and serving and finding ways to show the love of Jesus in tangible ways like hosting a play, right? Like it, and that all traces back to just how Dave and Casey have lived their lives and led their lives. And I didn't even know when we were, when we were coming that this would be the week before the 10 year anniversary. It blows my mind that Connect is 10 years old. And I am telling you, God is doing something special in this community. It's, it is just incredible to see how God is using not just Dave and Casey, but every one of you to show the love of Jesus in tangible ways all throughout this community. And uh, I really do believe that God is just getting started. So it, it's really exciting to, uh, for me to be here. Let me, uh, let me introduce you to uh, my family from afar real quick. Uh, I brought this photo mostly because I just wanted to see it on this incredible screen here. But uh, that's my son on the left, Ethan. Uh, we just helped him uh, get moved into his apartment to uh, start his junior year of uh, Missouri S&T. Uh, that's my daughter, Abby. She just started her senior year. And that is the love of my life, Jill, who's, uh, who's with me today. Um, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage uh, in paradise. I've got a photo for that too. And uh, it, it's crazy because 25 years ago, we, uh, we got married in Peoria right here. And uh, fun fact, Casey's parents were the ones that took the photos at, the, uh, at that wedding, so that, good times. I didn't bring a photo for that, though. Sorry about that. I know you're really disappointed. Um, so we're coming to an end of this series, as uh, Dave mentioned, and I say we because I've been following along from afar. Uh, and this is such a rich topic to, to lean into, the idea of the fruits of the Spirit. And so... The, but it's, it's a pretty simple kind of idea, though, because we know that healthy plants produce fruit. And so, in turn, for those of us who claim to be Christ followers, there should be certain fruit that's evidence of us being transformed in our lives. But let's just talk about that fruit for a second, because I, I, I feel like as I, it would be irresponsible for me to be up here without setting you straight on something, okay? So... If you think way back to the beginning of this series, maybe you were here, maybe you weren't, but Dave kind of kicked it off and he talked about uh, the best fruit in the world. And does anybody remember what he said was the best fruit in the world? Anybody? Strawberries? Oh, hey, wow, you, you were listening. That's, that's impressive. Um, no, I meant you were listening to me because you responded, but also you were listening to Dave. Uh, yeah, so how many agree with that? Like strawberries, best fruit in the world? Yes, Dave, we know. Anybody else? Okay. All right, sorry, ma'am, you're wrong. Sorry, sir, you're wrong. I'm here to set you straight because I, like, I can't just, I'm not saying it's heresy, but I just can't let it sit, okay? Because there is a better fruit. In fact, I would say best fruit in the world. And Dave knows nothing of this fruit because he doesn't partake of it because of his Britishness, we'll call it, okay? Um, because, I don't know, if, did you know this? That's not a Peoria accent that Dave has. So, um, 
but he would know nothing about it. And I'm here to bring the gospel today to let you know that the best fruit in the world is the coffee bean, okay? Yeah, it grows on a plant in the form of a fruit. You remove the husk, you dry it, you roast it, you grind it, and you have the most incredible substance on earth, coffee, okay? So there, got that out of the way. I mean, that's really why I came all this way. So you guys have a great day, okay? No? Okay, well, we'll keep going then. Uh, so let's just talk about the fruit of the Spirit and kind of lean into this, this, this idea here. Because Dave said something that, was actually true, so <laughs> on the first week. And I, it, really, it really resonated with me. I loved how he put this. He's, he uh, described the fruit of the Spirit as evidence that God is at work in our lives. And I think that's a great way to begin to kind of lean into the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is not a to-do list. It's not something that we have to do to produce this. No, this is God at work in our life producing this fruit. And I think the key to this is just to, to understand that we have to put ourselves in position for fruit to be produced in our lives. So let's take another look at the guiding verse for this series, Galatians 5, uh, verse 22. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, after spending the better part of the summer going through this verse, there's a pretty good chance that I'm not gonna tell you something you've never heard about this verse because you've looked at it each week. But I do wanna share a quote from one of my favorite authors from his incredible book, The Great Omission. And if, you, if you've never read Dallas Willard, I would encourage you to start with this book. I was telling somebody uh, earlier um, after the last service that I really believe that if every Christ follower read this book, it would transform how we go about pursuing Jesus. It, it is an incredible book. It's not an easy read, but with great care, he kind of unearths this picture. He paints this picture of what it looks like if we follow Christ in a certain way. How, how our lives are richer and we're on mission and we're transformed. And this quote, really I, I found helpful around this idea, what is the fruit of the Spirit? He says, the fruit of the Spirit simply is the inner character of Jesus himself that is brought about in us through the process of Christian spiritual formation. It is the outcome of spiritual formation. It is Christ formed in us. It's called fruit because like the fruit of trees or vines, it is an outgrowth of what we have become. So the fruit of the Spirit aren't actions to take. It's not on your kind of action item list at all. The fruit of the Spirit is the attitude of Christ formed in us. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives is evidence of who we are becoming as Christ transforms us to reflect more and more of who he is. Uh, and so... I think that sometimes it's helpful to look at the fruits of the Spirit as more like, instead of like action items to do or things to accomplish, to think about it like gauges on the dashboard of your car. When, when, uh, when I'm driving, I'm paying attention to those gauges and they're changing and we should be paying attention to the evidence of this fruit of the Spirit in our lives because there's definitely moments where I'm less patient. There's seasons that I walk through where I'm more self-consumed and less generous 
And the fruits of the Spirit are indicators of where I am currently at in my journey with Christ. Uh, the point is this. The growth of the fruit of the Spirit in my life is ongoing evidence of how the Spirit is forming Christ within me. And this speaks really to the last part of that, that verse in Galatians because he, Paul, the writer who is writing this letter to a church not unlike Connect Church in the ancient world, he says that we have, those of us who, who are in Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions. We're becoming someone entirely different who we were created to be. And it, and it is this big, big idea. And that really brings us to the last fruit of the Spirit to talk about, that it's not in order, Dave's right, and it's really my fault that it's not in order because I told Dave, I said, hey, uh, good luck with that uh, self-control and patience thing. I wanna talk about faithfulness. So, um, so today, we're gonna talk a little bit about faithfulness. And it's really interesting that Paul, the writer here, he uses this word faithfulness. He doesn't use the word faith. And faith speaks to more of a finite moment, like, oh wow, she really demonstrated faith in that difficult situation. He also doesn't use the adjective faithful. And to use my marriage as an example, Jill and I have been faithful for 25 years. We've demonstrated uh, faith to our vows, but being faithful is not just what marriage calls us to do, right? To see marriages thrive, they must have faithfulness permeate them. And so faithfulness, is ongoing adherence or clinging to. So while we all want to be good spouses and faithful spouses, what we really are striving for is ha to have the quality of faithfulness throughout our entire marriage. And if we remain faithful on a daily basis, it transforms us and our marriages have faithfulness. And in a very similar way, when we're talking about our relationship with Christ, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, the Spirit will transform us and the evidence of that transformation will be faithfulness. It will be seen, we will be seen as faithful. And it's the Spirit's work to do within us. So it's not something that you can't, you can't produce faithfulness, the Spirit produces faithfulness, but yet I would say that there is a role for us to play. We are responsible for faithfulness to show up in our lives. But what, I guess it just raises questions. How do we cultivate that? Because, you know, we all know that from an agricultural perspective, there's certain things you can do to cultivate a better crop. So when we talk about the fruit of the spirit and specifically faithfulness, how do we cultivate that in our lives? Um, maybe it also raises the question, is this only for pious people who seemingly have it all together? And then what about those of us who have blown it time and time again? It, it, can we have this fruit of the Spirit? Can we have faithfulness in our lives? Well, I've got good news, and it's this. There is a part for you to play to cultivate faithfulness in your life. And more good news, it doesn't matter how pious or flawed you are. If you're self-righteous and you think you have it all together, there's hope for you and your misguided confidence. And I say that with a, a lot of authority because I am living proof of that. And I would also say, if you've blown it time and time again, there's hope for you, and I'm living proof of that as well. So it doesn't really matter your track record here. You can have this fruit of the Spirit in your life of faithfulness. But the more difficult news, cultivating faithfulness in your life to really sort of set the table for the Spirit to do this work, it's not easy. And not only is it not easy, but it requires a level of obedience that just might wreck your life. 
in all the greatest ways, of course, but it is going to be disruptive is what I'm trying to say. And so this morning, what I want to do is take us through this rhythm that I've found to be helpful in pushing me in the right direction towards faithfulness. And as I've followed this path time and time again, it's put me in position to be faithful to what God is doing. And I haven't always, I haven't always risen to the occasion, but I've found this to be helpful, and I think you'll find it to be helpful as well. And the great news is this isn't something that I just dreamed up that I sell on late night TV on infomercials, which I think infomercials are still a thing. Maybe I just dated myself. I don't really know. Uh, no, this is actually taken from the story of, uh, of someone in the Bible who's lived this out, and his name's Moses. And probably most of us have heard of Moses in some form or fashion. We kind of maybe know a few things about him, or maybe we know everything about him. But I think if we look at Moses' story, particularly his origin story, which is challenging to say the least, uh, it's in this part of Moses' story that we find this example and this rhythm that if we follow it, I really think it'll put us in position for God to produce the fruit of faithfulness in our life. And there's plenty of other examples that I think we could look at, but, th but there's just something about Moses' story that makes him, I think, relatable. He's just flawed enough to be relatable. So we're gonna lean into Moses' origin story this morning. And while we don't know for sure whether Moses was actually a prince of Egypt or not, um, what we do know is that Moses was actually born into slavery. His people, often referred to as the children of Israel or the Israelites, they were, uh, they were in forced labor for generations when Moses came on the scene. And so when Moses was born, his mother concealed this birth because the midwives in Egypt had been instructed that if a male child was born, he, he should be put to death because they're trying to avoid a liberator rising up and fighting back against the Egyptians. And, and so for a while, Moses' mother tried to conceal this until she couldn't any longer. And she, then she makes the unthinkable decision. Like, seriously, like, it is, how does a mother come to this decision? But she puts her, her child in a basket and just sends him down the Nile River. And we might be so familiar with this story and so close to this story that that doesn't really, like, raise eyebrows, but it should, right? And she has some level of faith that I don't know that I've even experienced to be able to send her child trusting God. And what does God do? God is faithful in return. And Moses ends up in the arms of the Pharaoh's daughter. He, she sends someone to go and find a nursemaid. And it just so happens that it's Moses's mom, which is pretty incredible in and of itself. And it just sounds like sort of the, the setting the table for this epic story. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Moses' early years, but what we do know is that when he was probably almost an adult, maybe, maybe in his late teens, he was definitely aware of the plight of his people, that his people were in slavery and they were being mistreated, so much so that one day he sees an Egyptian mistreating one of his people, a slave, and is beating him and... Moses just snaps and he pops off and he fights back and he ends up killing this Egyptian. And he tries to conceal this crime and it becomes clear very quickly that he has not concealed it. And so what does Moses do? He goes on the run. He runs away from this problem far, far away. Moses escapes to a foreign land called Midian. He settles down, he marries a woman, they have kids, and he begins kind of this new life in seeming obscurity. 
and Moses has a job, and his job is to tend to the flock of his father-in-law, which is literally the lowest of the low that you could have as a job in the ancient world, but he does it. And his job takes him all over the wilderness, all over this area, this new area where he's living. And as he does this and does this job, it's, it's at one point that he just stumbles upon this shrub on the backside of a mountain that just happens to be burning. And it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And that gets his attention. And so Moses sees this shrub, and, and actually it's not, the idea of the burning bush is something that is kind of culturally, maybe we're, we're aware of this idea, but it really was probably just a small shrub that was just burning, and it wasn't that unusual, just like a sort of a freak grass fire on a really hot day, it wasn't the most unusual sight. And so this is how Moses writes it in Exodus, because Moses wrote Exodus where we find this account. It says, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and I will see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. So really he's minding his own business and notices something kind of interesting. It's on fire, it's not being consumed, what's going on there? And, and he decides to move in closer to investigate. And maybe, just maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking this, maybe this, this could be like a God thing, like something I heard my ancestors like experience in the past. Like maybe God is up to something here. And so he moves in and he looks at this bush on, that's on fire and he gets really curious about why it is on fire. And I think it's worth kind of pointing out here that how interesting it is that Moses, I mean, he's been through so much, right? And he hasn't lost his curiosity. And I think that that is really, really important because he, he's responsible for this whole flock of sheep. He could have just said, hey, we're gonna get the flock out of here and we're gonna just leave this behind. I'm not gonna look at this bush. I'm just gonna keep going, right? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he decides to investigate. And I think that that's key. You see, God is a very big God. And if he wasn't, it would be kind of underwhelming, wouldn't it? And in his bigness, in his all-powerfulness, in his all-knowingness, do you know what he wants most? God wants to be in relationship, intimate relationship with his creation, you. So when we, his creation, we are trying to sort things out in our lives where maybe something has happened or we're trying to make a decision and we're seeking God for the answers, it'd be super easy for God to just send an email with all the answers, right? Like, I don't know what email address that would come from, but like to just say, hey, Nate, uh, I know you're wondering about this. I also sent you the answers to all the questions for the rest of your life. That'd be really nice, right? But he doesn't do that. And it's not that he doesn't care about our momentary decisions, but God, what I've found is that God cares far more about how, who you and I are becoming as we're trying to make those decisions. His goal is always to produce fruit in our lives. And if we can look around and notice where God is at work around us, I think it will put us in position to get answers and for him to cultivate faithfulness in our lives. See, every God story, it starts this way, seeing where God might be at work. And so my question for you this morning is where is God at work in your life? Where might God be at work in your life? Maybe he's orchestrating a connection with you 
and a neighbor who's far from God and an opportunity there. Maybe he's showing you that this thing that you love to do that energizes you, the skill, he's got a purpose for that. Maybe, just maybe, you're noticing something happening in your community that is, it's upsetting you, it's frustrating you, and you're starting to get a sense that it also frustrates God and, and he might be up to something there. Or maybe he's just trying to get your attention because the choices that you're making have you on a dangerous path. See, if we look around and see where God's at work, that is where the opportunity to get in position for faithfulness starts. So Moses, he sees that potentially God could be at work. And that really is step one here. See, there's no links that God won't go to to show up in your life. So step one is in finding this rhythm that puts us in position for faithfulness is to see where God might be at work and get curious, just like Moses. So Moses, he moves closer to examine this burning bush that somehow isn't being consumed. And as he does, he encounters something that I'm sure he never forgot because he hears the voice of God. And I have to wonder, like, the audible voice of God, what did that sound like? Was it this like booming kind of voice, bassy, you know? Was it like the uh, Kermit the Frog, Patrick Mahomes kind of voice, you know? Was it like Morgan Freeman, you know? I mean, maybe, just maybe, like God's voice is Morgan Freeman's voice and he is like, you know what? I want everybody to know what my voice sounds like, so I'm gonna give my voice to Morgan Freeman. I don't know what it sounds like, but the audible voice of God like he speaks and he tells Moses to not come any further because he's on holy ground. He tells him to remove his sandals. And then he identifies himself. And this is what he says in Exodus uh, chapter three, verse six. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. See, God doesn't just announce himself, he gets down to business. He points out that he is not a God who's far removed from the suffering of his people and he hears their cries of anguish and he's concerned. He is the God who sees the oppression and the injustice that is happening to Moses' family, to Moses' friends. And God tells Moses all this and more and all Moses can do is just listen and hide his face because it is the voice of God, the God of the universe speaking to him. And by listening to God, Moses becomes intimately aware with a God he'd only heard about up until this point that he hadn't actually experienced. And not only that, he is transformed really by listening to the voice of God. And I think if we can reproduce this action, this step in our lives of listening to God and on your own and learning to know his voice in an intimate way, it will change the trajectory of our lives. It will change the direction of where we are headed. But the challenge with this is it will require you to prioritize listening to God above all else when you don't feel like it, when it seems like God isn't speaking, are you gonna continue to listen? God speaks though in a variety of ways and I think we have to understand that. See, God speaks through people, right? He, he speaks through people in our lives, he speaks through leaders that he puts in authority in our lives. God speaks through promptings of the Holy Spirit that are very hard to explain 
but we know it when we experience it. But the clearest way that God speaks is through his word, through the Bible. See, the Bible is a library of letters and stories and books that are pulled together to tell the story of God and his people and to speak for God. And so we have to pay attention to that. So what voices are you listening to in your life? That's my question for you. What voices are you listening to? I've found value in pursuing quiet moments where I invite God to be the loudest voice in certain moments. Now, I'd like to say that like, yes, God is the loudest voice in my life, but I'm just not there yet. But what I found is when I create space and turn the volume down on everything else, put the phone down, you know what? God shows up, God speaks. I'm curious how many empty nesters we have in the room today. Partial empty nesters, full empty nesters. I mentioned earlier that, uh, that we uh, moved my son uh, to school. This is, we have two kids, so he's the first to actually leave home. He's been doing community college for the last two years. And so we moved him about three and a half hours away to Rolla, Missouri. And I knew it was gonna be difficult, okay? I knew it was gonna be tough. I was not prepared for the emotional fallout that would happen by this move. And I'm not like a super emotional person, but days after we helped him make this move, I just randomly, I would think of something about Ethan and I would just break down crying. Like, and I, I found myself apologizing for my emotional instability to people around me. I'm like, I, I, don't know, I don't know why this is, right? And it's hard. But that week after we helped him make his move, uh, I just took some time in the morning on my patio uh, to just create some space and just listen to what God was saying. And as I did that, I had this, like, this huge realization that for me, the problem that I was having, why it was so difficult is that I was trying to control an outcome with my son. I was trying to control the situation. And like all of us in the room, we, I have big dreams for my kids. And the biggest dream is that they, that they will follow hard after God above all else. And in, it was like in this moment, God was telling me, this is why you're feeling this way and it's okay to let go, I've got this. And listen, every change that we all experience as human beings is a form of loss in some way and every loss needs to be grieved. But there is like a, a lot of extra with this loss. There was a lot of grieving that was happening and it was this realization for me that God was speaking and saying, you know what? You have this idol in your life that you're holding on to. It's the illusion of control, and you gotta let go of that. And listening to God in that moment was the opportunity to take a step to put myself in position to cultivate faithfulness in my life because there's no way I'm gonna have that fruit of faithfulness if I'm still trying to control everything. It's about surrendering and letting go. So step two. If we can follow Moses' example and listen to God's voice intently, it will put us in position for Christ to be formed in us. But it's gonna require us to prioritize whose voice is most important. And so we are going to have to prioritize listening to God. And that's a key part of this rhythm, of this process that we're looking at from Moses' origin story. So it's debatable just how well Moses listened to God, 
because God repeatedly tells him, go back to Egypt, like go. It's time to go back to Egypt, Moses. And Moses has all sorts of pushback. He has all sorts of excuses why he shouldn't make this move. And it's, it's interesting because the whole thing about this is God hears the cries of his people. And as I'm reading this and going through this, the question for me arised, arose, why now? Like, why is now the right time for, Mo, for God to get involved? Because Moses' people have been enslaved for generations, right? Why? And for me, I, I just couldn't help but wonder is, it, could it be that maybe this whole time, all this suffering was going on and God was waiting for Moses to be born, for his development, for his defection to this far off place to escape. And it put Moses in a place where he was actually willing to be used by God and sent back. What if it all hinged on this one thing with Moses? See, while God is God, he chooses to use people and it seems to be ridiculous, right? Because we are flawed creatures with all sorts of issues and all sorts of problems, yet time and time again, God chooses to use us and work through us. And if you read through the Bible cover to cover, which I encourage you to do, a theme will actually emerge that God relentlessly pursues people to be a part of his plan, even when they don't wanna be a part of said plan. They just, it, that is just how God works. And time and time again, God gives chance upon chance in his sovereign and powerful nature, he decides to share his plan with people and invite them to be a part of it, just like Moses. In fact, as Dave was talking about the 10 year anniversary and kind of, it was making me think about some of the conversations that we had early on. And I remember having a lot of conversations and one thing was clear for Dave and Casey, we need to start this church in Washington and everything else was unclear. <laughs> and that is so often how God works, isn't it? God invites us to join in and then the details will be sent later on, right? The details emerge later on. And that is, that is it requires a level of trust and it cultivates faithfulness in our lives. That's, that's what results. So my question for us this morning, another question is, is how might God be sending us? Because step three here is, is pretty straightforward if we're looking at what Moses does. Because Moses finally listens. He finally goes and all the incredible epicness of Moses' stories, story ensues, right? There's 10 plagues, he, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, he mobilizes millions of Israelites uh, and he's leading them to a far off destination that he doesn't even know where it is. He's just sort of following God. It is an, a crazy story. And so, Step three for us is to go to where or whom God is sending us. Go to where or whom God is sending you. And so for the, the follow-up question really is, where might God be sending you? I mean, he might be sending you to a friend that you've never, you haven't talked to in years. He might be sending you home today to reconcile with your spouse. He might be sending you back to your hometown to plant a church. He might be sending you away from disaster, away from that pornography habit, away from that inappropriate relationship that threatens to wreck everything in your life. God is constantly on the move 
and he's constantly choosing to send us, and he wants us to move with him. But it all requires one thing, it requires faith. And on a long enough timeline, when we put ourselves in position and we go to where God is sending us, it cultivates faith in our life, and sooner or later, faithfulness will permeate our lives if we do this time and time again. And that is the challenge with faithfulness. In order to put ourselves in a place to where we can do that, it is uncomfortable. Christ being formed in us doesn't just happen when, we're, when things are going great and we're being super, like, just chill, you know. It's, it's not a low-key thing. What it is is we have to get uncomfortable and put ourselves in a place where we're trusting God. So what I've found is that if we follow this rhythm, if we follow this process, when we see God at work and we listen to him and then we go to wherever he's sending us, it's uncomfortable, it stretches us, but what we, we see happen is that God moves through us in unimaginable ways. And this has become the challenge of my life, to see, listen, go, and repeat, and I gotta tell you, there's more times I've gotten it wrong than I've gotten it right. But it's so ingrained in me, actually I have, I have a tattoo of the burning bush on my shoulder. And it's this reminder that even when things are difficult, God is still at work. And God wants to be at work and is at work in your life. It's just a matter of whether you're gonna choose to see him, listen to him, and then go to whomever, wherever he's sending you. So how do we cultivate this fruit of the Spirit in our life, this faithfulness? It's the Spirit's work. The Spirit forms Christ within us, but we have a role to play, to put ourselves in position for faithfulness. So will you say it aloud with me? See, listen, go, repeat. See, listen, go, repeat. This rhythm it has the potential to disrupt so much in our lives. And I think if we can all do this, even if you're here today and you're, you're saying, you know what, I've never seen myself as somebody that God is going to use, I've messed up too many times, God desires so much to be in an intimate relationship with you and to use you not even in spite of the poor choices that you've made, but to use those for his glory. And so if you counted yourself out from the beginning, start looking around to see where God might be at work. Start looking for those burning bushes in your life. There's this interesting kind of belief that some rabbis hold about the burning bush. And it, it's this. They don't, some rabbis don't believe that the burning bush was burning just like right as Moses comes around the corner and it sort of ignites like a lamp or something like that and it's just sort of there. A lot of rabbis actually believe that that burning bush had been burning since the beginning of time. When God spoke the world into existence, it ignited. And God was just waiting for someone to stumble across it on the backside of a mountain and to get curious and say, is God doing something here? That's pretty interesting, isn't it? See, God 
deeply, deeply desires to use all of us in history-changing ways. And imagine, just imagine with me for a second, what if all of us here today, all of us that are watching online could follow this rhythm, could see where God's at work, listen to what God is saying and go to where he's sending us and do it again and again and again. What has the potential to change? This community, which is being transformed by God and through Connect Church, would continue to be transformed. This region, this state, what would happen is that the love of Jesus would be shared in tangible ways. Uh, relationships would be reconciled. Families would be healed. Uh, there would be less children in the foster system. Why? Because, uh, because the church, because you, because Christ followers wrap around these families before they're plunged into crisis. There would be less injustice. There would be less racism. And it would all be because we decided to look, to see where God's at work, to listen to God, and to go where he's sending us. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? I, I just can't help but wonder, even as we're getting ready to celebrate 10 years of Connect, what if this is our origin story? What if this is God saying, hey, I've got this huge conspiracy to transform the world and you have a part to play in it. Pay attention, see where I'm working. Let's pray. God, we are flawed creatures, yet you choose to use us. You invite us to be a part of your plan. And it is incredibly humbling and confusing, but God, I just pray that there would be a sense this morning of your love, that you care so much more about who we're becoming than any one momentary decision that we're wrestling with. God, I pray that there would just be this sense of how much you love us in this moment. And as we continue to pray right now, I wanna invite everybody to keep their eyes closed and. I just, wanna, I just wanna ask, is there anybody here today that you're saying, you're hearing this and you're saying, you know what? I want faithfulness to permeate my life. I need this and I need help seeing where God is at work in my life. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Just saying, you know what? I want faithfulness in my life. Go ahead and raise your hand. I see hands, hands all over. Let me just pray for those of us that are raising our hands right now. God, we want faithfulness in our life, but we can't produce it ourselves. All we can do is put ourselves in position for you to work in our lives. And everyone who just raised their hand is saying just that. They want you to work in their lives. And so God, I just pray that you would show up in incredible ways this week, that you would open our eyes to see where you're at work and have us poised to listen to what you have to say so that we can go and be a part of what you're doing. God, I ask this. I know that you're faithful and you will produce faithfulness in our lives. As we continue to have our eyes closed, I just wanna ask one more question. As we talk about this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, I wanna ask the question, is there anybody here today that even as we talk about fruit of the Spirit, you're not there yet because you haven't yet said yes to Jesus? but you want to today. You're saying, you know what, I'm ready. I wanna surrender my life. I want to put my faith in Jesus. If that's you, will, will you just raise your hand while everybody's eyes are closed? 
heads are bowed. Is there anybody? I see one hand. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Anyone else? I see another hand. And another hand. Anyone else? I'm going to pray for everybody that just raised their hand. And, and I also want to point out that there's, there's a prayer team that will be up here after the service. And I want to invite you to come and pray with them if you raised your hand just now. Let me pray for you. God, there, there are people here right now that are saying, yes, I, I need your fruit in my life. And I want to put my faith in you. And God, I pray that you would bless them as they, as they declare their faith in you. And that, God, that you would use Connect to help them grow and put themselves in position to where they can, can have your fruits of the Spirit on display, God. I, and I pray that, God, this community would wrap around these people who are putting their faith in you. God, thank you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, even when we blow it. God, you're an incredible God. And we are so grateful for you. Amen.